The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast dedicated to fashion, the art of living well, and all things beauty. I'm your host, Dr. Shirley Madere, your purveyor of this definitive source of living a beautiful life. This week's episode is dedicated to finding beauty in all things. The world is sick and needs healing, and the United States particularly is on fire. So I think it's very appropriate to talk about beauty today and trying to find beauty wherever we can, inside and out. Related, our topic is the future of beauty, shifting paradigms and changing attitudes. Welcome to my interview with Daniela Chokan. Daniela Chokan's history is so far a very beautiful, and I say so far because there's more to come. For 11 years, <laughs> she was the marketing director for Cosmoprof North America, which is the leading B2B or business-to-business beauty exhibition in North America, attracting some 50,000 attendees, and I was one of them, much as a result of Daniela's efforts. In that role, she grew and expanded the show, attracted retailers and buyers all over the world, and revolutionized the way beauty brands connected with consumers and not just businesses. Not just Cosmoprof, but she is the award-winning marketing mastermind behind so many beauty events. Daniela is also an active member of the board of CEW, or the Cosmetic Executive Women, and the Independent Cosmetics Manufacturers and Distributions Organization. So Daniela knows beauty inside and out, <laughs> diagonally, you know, every vector. That's right now, all the beauty. <laughs> all the beauty. Right. Of late, Daniela has founded a new beauty event, one her own, called Unfiltered Experience. It's an event dedicated to brands focused on beauty and wellness with a direct-to-consumer focus. Having attended and spoken at that event last year, two of the particularly impressive and valuable aspects of that format is its educational component and that it serves as a platform for bringing together experts with brands. Daniela is a force an entrepreneur, an innovator, a beautiful person inside and out, and I think most importantly, a friend. She joins us virtually today on the Forever Fab podcast from Las Vegas. Welcome, Daniela, and thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Of course, I'm very sorry we cannot be together because together would mean a way closer connection than this virtually. And it means drinks after maybe or dinner or who knows. But uh, it's it's great to do this either way. I'm I'm happy to be featured in your podcast and then be one of your guests. And uh, this is really cool to talk about beauty, which is, yeah, one of my favorite subjects, as you know. 
Yes, we have that in common. So let's dig right in. You were born in Romania, spent several years traveling the world, and now live in Las Vegas. How did you get from Romania to where you are now in life? What was your journey? What was that about? Did you ever believe or think, yeah, I'm going to be a beauty badass? Never, ever, ever. So um, as you said, I was born and raised in Transylvania, and it was during communist times mm -hmm. where beauty and frivolous things like fashion were definitely not of importance. Yeah. And um, so, no, I would have never thought I would work in the beauty industry. And uh, my parents decided to immigrate and leave the country. Um, and we moved to New York City when I was in my early teens. I ended up going to a public high school in East Elmhurst, New York. Yes. Queen. Traumatic <laughs> experience. Oh, I'm sorry. And um, it was traumatic because A, I was in my early teens. And, you know, in your early teens, as it is, you're dealing with a lot of issues. And then, secondly, I suddenly had to deal with a whole new culture and people, especially in New York. I mean, New York is a melting pot, yes. and a public school in East Elmhurst yes. means even more so. So, there I was thrown in with kids from Egypt um, and Puerto Rico and, and Jamaica, and you name it countries that, you know, like I've, I've, I saw on the globe, but I didn't even like know, you know, what made those cultures unique and different. So, um, so that was an adjustment. And then also it was, I came from a system that was very regimented, right? And yes. schools there and, and communication was very um, controlled. Yeah. So we could not in school, we would go and it was similar to Catholic schools here in the sense that you'd have uniforms as girls. We were not allowed to put any makeup on. We always had to have our hair pulled back. Right. Uh, we yeah. had to have a headband. So we were very, very um, uh, uniform as a society. And then when I came here and I went to school, Everyone was wearing whatever they wanted, revealing clothes as well, may I say. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then the other piece to the puzzle was that I, while I spoke English, I had an accent and I was very, very conscientious of my accent. So it made me feel very uncomfortable yeah. speaking in class and speaking to other kids. So that's the reason why so it was very traumatic for me, for sure. But it sounds like it was so valuable because you had a real life experience of the United Nations almost, right? <laughs> yes, yes, live in person, yes. Yeah. Um, so, so after after going to high school, I, I didn't, again, coming from a communist country where there weren't really careers the way, you know, you have here, marketing and advertising, there's no need for any of that back, back then. So I didn't know what I wanted to do and I wasn't familiar with the scope and the breadth of things that you could be here. Yes. So my, my parents chose for me uh, a career of as an accountant. Ooh. Can you believe? Could you picture me as an accountant? Because you know well, you are a very good businesswoman, so maybe it came in handy. <laughs> so I started going to accounting. Um, I did one semester and I dropped that because I thought if I have to deal with these numbers and spreadsheets yeah. on my own every day, I'll go crazy. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
started doing lots of partying in New York City. You know, you're I was pretty girl, and uh, I I started. I wanted to be a model. Oh, wow. and I started hanging out with the crowd, the wrong crowd. <laughs> and coming home, like when my dad would, would go to work, I would come home. Wow. And given that my parents are very traditional, I was told I had to get a job in two weeks, I got a deadline, or move out. Wow. So <laughs> I didn't have a lot of skills, you know. And uh, I decided as I was walking through a mall to go and apply for a position at a department store. And I got a job selling cosmetics behind the counter. Look at that. And may I tell you that that started my love affair with the industry. Wow. Because I loved, I loved the fact that there were all these new launches yeah. and new products. And it made me think, who comes up with these things, right? Like, how do you, how do, you do that? At the time, there were not, not the indie companies like today. So it was all the established brands. But nonetheless, they always had the fall and the spring collections, right? So you would see that coming out. And I was like, wow, I wonder how this happens. Like, you know, who decides? So um, I sold beauty products for two years. And then finally, I decided to start exploring whether there is a possibility to work in the industry, you know, in a, in a different level. And I found FIT, which is New York City. Yes, Fashion FIT, Institute of Technology. Fashion Institute of Technology, which at the time had a new program, cosmetics and marketing, and you could get your bachelor's. Wow. It was founded by Annette Green, who was such a visionary in our industry. She was the uh, founder of the Fragrance Foundation. Yes. And um, I went, I met with the chairperson. I asked, what happens if I come and I enroll? What would my career look like? So she said, oh, you could work in marketing or product development. And I was like, what is product development? She's like, oh, well, you would work in, you know, deciding what new products, new colors come to market. And that was, surely, that was it. That was it. There was like, that was my one focus in life. I was going to become a marketer or product developer. So I registered, I went to school beyond full-time. I took so many courses just because I wanted to get ready and start working. Yeah. And I graduated magna cum laude. Wow. Uh, still selling beauty products behind the counter to support so myself. You, you went to school and you worked. Yep, I got scholarships, full scholarships as well. And my parents were happy, needless to say. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then I did my internship at Estee Lauder. That was my dream. I wanted to work at Estee Lauder Corporate. Wow. Wow. And I, I did my internship at Origins, and I realized I don't think corporate's cut for me. What? Really? So... I graduated from school from FIT, and then I ended up working for a Japanese company, Kosei, and the fourth largest Japanese cosmetics manufacturer, but they're well known in Asia and and Japan predominantly. In the States, no one had heard of the company, and they had this beautiful, beautiful brand called Awake. That was designed by this uh, Irish designer that's based in New York City. She's an interior designer called, called Cloda. Yes, of course. You heard of her? Oh, she's amazing. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. 
So she's all about raw and sustainability and indust mixing industrial with natural feel. So the packaging was so avant-garde. Now yeah. we're starting to again see a comeback to some of the ideas that we had in that brand, what, 20 years ago. So yeah. she was using these, um, the containers were uh, folded, no glue. And in the inside of the of the packages of the containers, you would have the instructions. So there were no paper inserts whatsoever. Mm -hmm. yes. You could open it and you could put it flat so you could recycle it easy. You know, she had I so many cool ideas that, you know, were uh, too advanced at the time. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so I started with the company day one. Um, I was the second employee. I was fresh out of school. I was so excited wanted a mentor you know I knew what I was going to do and um, it was a fun ride since I was the second employee in the company yes. the uh, the gentleman who had hired me who was the distributor he was a great salesperson I've learned so much from him and he's still in my life today You're he's wonderful. like my father very proud of me um, but I've learned a lot about business from him and and etiquette business etiquette oh, yeah. um, a relationship building, you know, skills that have stayed with me. Um, and we did, we did fun things with the brand, but it just, I think it was too, too early. Yeah. You know, for, the, for that brand it had a lot of, they had, they were the first ones that had the eye masks, you know, oh, they're so popular now, the sheet mask. Yes. So again, think about it. This is 20 years ago. So yeah. it was a bit too early. Yeah. Time, they say timing is everything, or a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of it. And then it was way before social media. It was all, back in the day, it was all about glossy magazines, yeah. which support a lot of the advertisers. Yeah. We were a startup company, although we were owned by a large company. So we did not have the ability to advertise um, yeah, and compete it. on that level. So it made it very challenging to get the word out. Um, and again, because the products were so different too, it needed education. Yes. Um, but we were we we got we got into Neiman Marcus, we got into Bergdahl's, Henry Bendel, which was such a beautiful store back then. I know. And then, um, so I did. Uh, I did that for nine years. I stayed there for nine years. I was overseeing everything from marketing to education to PR, and wow. it was so much fun. It was yeah. so much. Everything I dreamed of, surely it was that, right? Mm -hmm. Trying going to Japan, building a team, having these amazing people that to this day, many of them are still in my life. Nice. Um, you know, as friends. Um, so it was a great experience. Needless to say, I had a lot of fun. Um, and then, but then I decided, you know, maybe, maybe it's, uh, it's time to take it easy and focus on me because I was focused on career. Right. Yes. And I decided to move to Las Vegas. Wow. That's when you moved. And there's no beauty in Vegas. There's no beauty industry in Las Vegas. Although lately I've been happy to see there's about seven companies here, manufacturers that are Vegas-based. Yes. But back then there weren't any. And um, But I decided to move here and just take it easy and, and figure what life unveils. And uh, at the time there was this trade show here called Cosmoprof. Yes, and the event was in the states for four years, 
and it needed TLC. Yeah. And I was brought in because of my international marketing background and the fact that I had relationships in the market. Yes. And I knew nothing about trade shows. I knew beauty. I didn't know trade yeah. shows. Yes. But I was like, oh, why not? You know, I right. tried it. Right. And it was so amazing. I, I so enjoyed it. I found my purpose. I enjoyed meeting hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs and really being at the forefront of this trend that's now called indie beauty that didn't have a name back then and i've touched so many entrepreneurs in a meaningful way with the programs i've created so that was fun unbelievable so it sounds as if even though you didn't plan your career because you were so passionate and so enthusiastic and willing and open to do whatever the things just kind of came to you that helped propel you to the next level each time yeah and i i think that that's true for all of us Shirley. i think that you know we all have something that we're passionate about and you really need to to sit back and assess what that is you know what makes you happy what do you really really love and once you identify what that is figure out how could you make money with it because yeah. once you do, once you figure that out, work is no work anymore. It's work true. is pleasure because it just gives you fulfillment. It's true. That's inspiring. So of all the things that you're responsible for and you helped to create and created yourself at Cosmoprof, what would you say after 11 years of mastering marketing over there, what would you say was the most valuable lesson you learned? The most valuable lesson I've learned is that you um, you might have a great idea, but having a great idea is not enough unless you surround yourself with people that can help execute it. I love and that. We're not, and we're not good at everything, you know, as much as I think you need to to be honest with yourself. Yeah. And understand that you might be the creator or the the, the mom, mom to the brand or the dad to the brand. Yeah. And it's your vision, but you're not good at everything. Yeah. And if you hold on to that baby for too long, you might kill it. You might suffocate it. That's so true. So that, was, that was my biggest learning because I saw, as I said, hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs come. And some of them, honestly, I thought surely... This is going to make it. This is a great idea. And then what happened? And they're gone. Wow. Gone. You know, been in the market a little bit and then never hear from them again. It, I love that you said that. It's really valuable because it seems as if, especially when launching a brand, whether it's in beauty or nutrition or fashion, whatever, you need people. You need a tribe. You need to surround yeah. yourself with yeah. people, not only to support you, but help educate you and help execute and I think that serves as inertia or sticking point for a lot of people. They feel like they have to do everything, come up with the ideas, be the creative, yeah. be this person, you know, et cetera. So that was very valuable what you said. Thank and you. sometimes it's money, you know, sometimes oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure it's money as well because when you, start out, you can't afford to bring in the right talent. But yeah. then I think that that's where, you know, events are valuable because yeah. even if you don't know it all, you can go and expose yourself to different ideas and meet people. So after leaving Cosmoprof and having learned so much and grown that platform, you know, to a huge scale, I mean, yes, Cosmoprof at the time yes. when I left 
was the most award-winning trade show in beauty. They had won the most awards because of all the innovation that I had put in. Absolutely. I realized that since there's so many entrepreneurs out there, and like I said to you, it's about ideas not enough. Ideation is important, but it's not enough. And when you go to these events, you know, they're so one-dimensional in the sense that everything is curated for you. So it might have special areas or you have the expo floor, you have the conferences, you know, where people, experts talk, but they talk to you. Yes. They don't talk with you. Right. And so I thought, how can I create something that breaks that mold and delivers even more opportunity for entrepreneurs to grow their business, right? Mm -hmm. So, yes, we can offer connection with buyers um how about you bring in influencers too because right now for beauty and fashion you know social media and influencers are the way to discovery with consumers right um but then i thought how could i bring in experts you know so that way if you have a question if say you know i want to launch my direct-to-consumer business and i need to talk to someone about seo you have that opportunity to go and ask someone versus just going to a conference where someone has a message and they talk on their message, you know, but you're not really interacting. So, um, yeah, so I think that that's, that's important. Going to events, exposing yourself. If you don't have the money, at least go to events where you can meet experts and then share ideas and then, you know, have that light bulb go off. So was that the void that you felt that was in the beauty industry that helped you to pivot to launch Unfiltered Experience, that the conversation wasn't going on between these creators or the founders or the brand and the experts who had made the mistakes, who had been there, done that, and now become successful. There was, was that the void that you felt? That That was number one. And number two, I saw everyone wants to get into Sephora and Ulta and Monster and Macy's, right? But those stores um, are very hard to get into and it's expensive. And for many startups, although all entrepreneurs that I've met all think that they can do the business and they can support it. Again, I've seen many examples and they really can't because there's a certain requirement put upon you to make the business, to drive the business. Yes. And so now you're suddenly you're competing with so many other companies and you need to be able to sample, you need to be able to put in the staff support to do the marketing, and to do the social media, to do the PR, and all of those costs add up. And again, if you're a startup and you need to have the inventory. Right. So yeah, so as a startup, it's very difficult for you to really make it into those retailers. And I, I saw the emergence of the direct-to-consumer and I thought, hmm. if you're smart, then that could be a way of you controlling your distribution, controlling yeah. who who your communication with your consumers and knowing who your consumers are. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. More to come, right? Oh, yes. Let's talk about that. So whether you refer to it as, you know, a global crisis, a pandemic, you know, the great pause, listen, it, it is dramatic and life altering for everybody. So, 
you know, some people consider it a reckoning. I mean, has the beauty industry come to, you know, its knees? How did the coronavirus pandemic affect the beauty industry? And as a result, did the industry sort of lose its compass? What do you feel that the beauty industry has to take some responsibility in what's going on in the world, whether it's a pandemic or protest? Yeah. So coronavirus affect the beauty industry? Well, we've seen, I mean, obviously the, the, the pandemic had, had forced us to stay home. It forced everything to shut down in most of most states in many countries. And that meant that now shopping did not happen. In real time. Except online. Yeah. And even online, you know, you now have these lengthy time frames because many, many products are out of stock. People couldn't manufacture. China was closed. You couldn't get your packaging. You couldn't get your componentry on time. Yeah. So it impacted consumption for sure. It forced us as consumers to now become our own hairstylist yes. and facialist <laughs> and <laughs> nail, nail technicians, right? So we've seen a plethora of searches online for how do I color my hair, yes. root cover-up, um, nails, manicures. So, right. um, so that's interesting to see. And that impacted the sale of products. So there's more demand now for things that you could do at home for, for your own personal care. Right. Um, there's more of a scale also, of what um, we, the components of that we used to have people, you know, do for us. We outsourced, for example, I outsourced my pedicure and manicure, but now yes. you're right. I had to find the tools. Now you can't, now you can't, and you can only, you know, go, go for so long. And then right. finally, like you need to do something about it. So, right. um, so we've seen, we've seen a shift in some of the items that were, were, are being purchased, right? Yes. Um, and then we've seen um, the online component really took off. So brands that were equipped to do e-commerce, you know, they they were able to better get through this period. Um, retailers that were had an online component or are exclusively online were able to shift some of the of the uh, sales to to online obviously they're not making up what they left they they left on the tables from the stores right. but um we've uh, we've seen the beauty industry really like come come to a um, um also a realization that sustainability is very important yes um minimalism right more um doing more with less um and um I think these are trends that needed to happen. They were already there. I mean, clean beauty was already a trend, but I think clean beauty is no is no longer a trend. It's just part of yeah, uh, beauty. Yeah, um, and um, I, the this inqui this consumer in, in, inquiry as to who am I buying from? What's in the product? Is it safe for me? Is it safe to use with other things that I am using? I, I felt that that was coming on. You know, you could see it. You could see, like, in terms of the searches. But I think that now, even more so, you want to know that products are safe. Yeah. And you want to know where they come from. Yeah. And I think, again, as, as an event organizer, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to bring to the forefront 
founders so they can tell their stories and then experts so that they could educate you. So if you have questions about Dr. Shirley, what should I do about, you know, the skin issue I have, then you could tell me and I could meet with you at the event. So um, I think we, we're, seeing, we're seeing certain trends that, as I said, were kind of like at the surface and they're just going to be accentuated even more because yeah. of this crisis. And on that same note, then, if beauty or the beauty industry is not pandemic proof. I think beauty may be pandemic proof, right? The psychology of beauty, but the beauty industry as it currently stands may not be pandemic proof or crisis proof. So if that's the case, then what can the industry do to become better aligned with consumer values? If you're saying that you've been seeing in terms of examining the searches, people are asking for more sustainability and transparency and where do, what's the sourcing of their ingredients, what can the beauty industry do as a whole to become better aligned with those values? You've just listened to part one of Forever Fab podcast. Please stay tuned for part two coming up next.